Let's open our Bibles or access your device to Mark chapter 1, verse 21. We're back in the gospel according to Mark, the remarkable power of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about a day in the life of the Lord. If you grew up about the time I did, you were familiar with the Beatles. And in 1967, they released an album called Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And in it, there was a song called A Day in the Life of. It actually was a double song. John Lennon had written part of it, said, I read the news today, old boy. And then Paul McCartney starts talking about a day in his life. And when he was interviewed about it, it said, reminded him of his high school days when he was always running late. And then when he got to school, all he did was just daydream. The lyrics go, go like this. They say, woke up, fell out of bed, dragged a comb across my head, found my way downstairs and drank a cup. And looking up, I noticed I was late. Found my coat and grabbed my hat, made the bus in seconds flat. Found my way upstairs and had a smoke, and somebody spoke, and I went into a dream. And if you remember a little thing about that song, it ended with a sustained E major piano note played on six pianos that stayed suspended for 40 full seconds. They kept turning up the amps and picking it up. Well, I suppose Sir Paul McCartney deserves one part of a song about his life. We're here to talk about a man today who has had more songs written about him than any other person who ever walked on the planet Earth. That's Jesus Christ. He's had more books written about him than anybody else in the history of the world. That's Jesus Christ. And there are more Bibles published and distributed around the world than any other book in the history of the world. Almost 7 billion copies of God's Word, 300 million Bible apps. And I thank God for the Gideons. If we have some Gideons in here, I'm proud of you because they're passing out a Bible every two seconds somewhere around the world. Now, when you're in a hotel, don't steal that towel, but they don't mind you stealing that Bible. They want you to take it because they're going to replace it for somebody else. Somebody, so many people have become Christians just simply by reading a Bible. Well, we're going to follow Jesus for 24 hours of his ministry, and we're going to find four connection points with Jesus so if you have your scripture, we're in Mark chapter 1, verse 21. I invite you to stand with me as we honor God through the reading of his word. They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. The scribes would say, well, Rabbi, so-and-so says this, but Rabbi, so-and-so says this. And Jesus said, this is what God says. He taught with authority. Verse 20, 23. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in the synagogue. He cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions and shouted with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, and so they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Notice verse 30. Simon's mother-in-law, you might not have even known that Simon was married, Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, 
and she began to serve them. The word literally means to serve them food. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many of those who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. 24 hours, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Father, we all love Jesus, that's why we're here, and as we get to follow him around for 24 hours, Lord, help us to do the things you did, Lord Jesus, and to say the things you said. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. So what is life all about? One of my favorite movies from the 90s was 1991 City Slickers. Billy Crystal starred in it. If you, if you don't know that, he was the voice in Monsters Incorporated for Mike. And there's a scene in that movie where it's a career day in his son's class, just a bunch of little kids out there, and he is an advertising executive. He's just bored out of his gourd. So he just kind of goes off rambling, talking about life. And here's what he said. He said, kids, value this time in your life because this is the time in your life when you still have your choices. And it goes by so quickly. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything. And you do. Your 20s are a blur. Your 30s, you raise your family. You make a little money. And you think to myself, what happened to my 20s? Your 40s, you grow a little pot belly. You grow another chin. The music starts to get loud, and one of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. Your 50s, you have a minor surgery. You'll call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. Your 60s, you have a major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. The 70s, you and your wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. You start eating dinner at 2, lunch around 10, breakfast the night before. And you spend most of your time wandering around the mall looking for the ultimate in soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't ever call? By your 80s, you've had a major stroke and you end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand, but you call mama. Are there any questions? <laughs> what a bitter look at life just passing by each decade. Of course, in, in the movie, the kids are just there like, you know, shell-shocked when he says something like that. That's not what life is about. I'll tell you what life is about. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and live it to the abundance, that you ought to live life. Every life uh, that's a follower of Jesus Christ ought to be an adventure. So we're going to follow Jesus for 24 hours and make a, a point of contact with him for four areas. Number one, identify with Jesus in church. Because the Bible says, verse 21, when the Sabbath came... Jesus went into the synagogue, and he began to teach. Now, anytime you read about Jesus on the Sabbath day, he's usually in a, in a synagogue, and he's usually asked to, to be the guest rabbi. And so in this case, he, he was, I'm sure he was doing that. I've been to this, the ruins of this synagogue in Capernaum many times. It was a very large synagogue, enough for two or 300 people. And they segregated the uh, people that worshiped. All the men sat downstairs, the women sat up in the balcony. Even to this day, in Orthodox Jewish congregations, they segregate the men and the women. So Jesus would have pulled out the Torah scroll and would have read from it and would have sat down and then taught the people. 
So the key part of what I want us to connect with is that the Word of God was read there. And if you want to be a part of a New Testament church, the Word of God should be made most of, much of, in every time you gather. I say that because in the years that I've been a pastor, I've had some of my members who would go off to some other church, some other denomination, and they would say, Pastor, you couldn't believe it. Hardly anybody brought a Bible to church. And the pastor didn't even have a Bible. Maybe he quoted a couple of scriptures, but they were just talking about current events and philosophy and things like that. Folks, I don't know how they can call themselves a church, right? Because the, the Word of God needs to be central every time a church gathers. That's where we get our authority. That's what they said. Jesus spoke with authority. Now, I've been here long enough at Marbury Baptist Church to know that this is a Bible-centered church. Amen. You guys love the Bible. You teach the Bible. And every church I've ever served, I've tried to make sure the Bible is foundational. In fact, we did something special over in Tyler in 1999 when we were building our big worship center that seats 3,600 people. While it was being constructed, they dug a deep, deep 40-foot pylon. They, they dug several of them to pour pylons to perform the foundation for the floor of what would be the worship center. And we figured out which one would be right under the pulpit area. And so one day before they filled it up with concrete, I took one of my old Bibles from college, my Schofield reference King James Bible, put it in a plastic bag, wrapped it up, tied a rope to it, and then we lowered it into the hole while we sang songs of worship. And then they poured the concrete in. So when we say that Green Acres Baptist Church is built on the Word of God, that is true spiritually, but it is also true literally. It is built on the Bible. And then before we had one service in the, in, the, in the room, before we had any songs, any sermons, we put a big Bible on the pulpit and turned on the, the sound system and had it on live stream, and we read through the entire Bible out loud, Genesis to Revelation. People took 30-minute shifts, and they read through the entire Bible. The very first thing that was ever heard in that room was the Word of God. If a church wants to call itself a New Testament church, you need to make the Bible central. So not only was there the presence of the Bible, also there was the power of God displayed. Because even in the middle of Jesus' teaching, this guy screams out and he's demon-possessed. Now, we're going to talk a lot about demons as we get into the study, but some of you may be wondering, Pastor, it's the 21st century. Do you still believe in demons? Do you still believe in angels? Absolutely. I believe in both demons and angels. The devil is real. Now, he's not as powerful as some people make him. He's, he's not a minor god. You know, he is a fallen angel who has a demonized, organized, mobilized army of demons. But he's not just about as strong as God. I mean, he's a fallen angel. That's all he is. He, he's not om, omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't know everything. He's certainly not all, all, all present, all powerful, or all knowing. He's none of that. Only God is that. And I've got good news for you. Even though there are demons in this world and the devil is real, the Bible says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? So here's our point of contact. Identify with Jesus at church. And all of you here, you're doing it. Good for you. You've already done that. But you know, during COVID, there were a lot of people who missed church. And a lot of them have gotten out of the habit. I've been told there are people that are going to continue to just watch church in their pajamas at home, I'm here to tell you it's time to come back, get involved in your local church, wherever you are. You know, today there's something called virtual church. There are churches that say we're totally virtual. They never meet together. They never gather. It's just all over video. It's all done virtually by screen. 
I don't know how they can call themselves a church because, you know, there's something you cannot have if you have a virtual church, and that is community. The community, the Christian community, the family of God that is created when brothers and sisters in Christ come together. So identify with Jesus at church. That's the first point of contact. The second point of contact is this, that you should invite Jesus into your home. I mean, when you leave church, don't leave Jesus here. Take him with you to be a part of your family into your home. Make him the honored guest at your home every meal, every time you gather. Make him also the host of your home, the Lord of your home. Look at verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. As I've said, I've been to the ruins of Capernaum, and it wasn't a very long walk, because if I'm standing in the synagogue in, in Capernaum, Peter's house is just about where the end of that wall is. I mean, it's only about 150 feet to it. And when they get there, his mother-in-law is sick. She's got a fever. And you might not even have known that Peter was married, because we never hear about who his wife is, but you've got to have a wife to have a mother-in-law. And did you know Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law? Some people say that's why Peter later denied Jesus three times. <laughs> I don't say that, but some people say that. But, but he was there at their house. And, you know, I think what we're losing in our culture today is we have so many fractured families because the family sitting around a table and interacting, we've, we've lost a lot of that. Today, if families eat together, even eat together, they are watching television or everybody's on their phones. I heard a talk by Leonard Sweet a while back saying we're losing the power of the table among families. And he used as an example of how in modern day Israel, the, the young people, the teenagers have maintained their Jewish identity. And he said the reason is because they make so much of the table, so much of meals every Friday night. They have a Shabbat meal. And there's a certain formula they, they go through every uh, fr Friday night for the Shabbat meal. Once a year, they have the cedar, the Passover meal. And, and they set an empty chair at the table. They set a plate and utensils and a cup, but there's an empty chair, and that is Elijah's chair. Because they believe Elijah's going to come before the Messiah. Now, we know he's already come. John the Baptist was that Elijah. But they set a place for him, and they sometimes talk to Elijah as if he's there. I've said before to families, especially if you have little kids, why don't you try this one night? Just set an extra chair at your table and say, okay, that's our Jesus chair. Because Jesus is here. I mean, set the plate, set the cups, and the silverware and everything, and just talk to Jesus. Now, he may not talk back, but just talk to him and just act like he's there. Just a way of bringing him into your home. I said, we have been told that Christian families are worse off than they really are. There are some false statistics that have been circling around. You won't you call it fake news if you want to. But have you ever heard that the divorce rate among Christians is the same as it is among non-Christians in the United States? Yeah, I've heard that for years. But that's not true. That is a lie. The reason that is misleading is because there's so many people in America who call themselves Christians who never open their Bible, never go to church. They're not even church members, but they're just say, they say they're Christian just because they're not Muslim or they're not Jewish. So when you look at that number, that's true. But when you dig a little deeper, you find how much stronger Christian marriages are. This was a study that was done by a secular sociologist, Dr. Bradley White at the University of Connecticut. Here's what he found. Among 
Christians, people who call themselves Christians but never attend church, yeah, their divorce rate's the same, about 60%. But for couples who attend church regularly, and he, he says just two times a month, the divorce rate drops to 38%. But then when you examine couples and families who read the Bible and prayed every single day together, the divorce rate dropped to 18%. So Jesus does make a difference in your home. Jesus does make a difference in your family. So some people, they leave church on Sunday and they take on a different vocabulary, different lifestyle, then they come back to church and then they start acting like a Christian. Again, there's a word for that. That's called hypocrisy, okay? So take Jesus home with you. Invite him to be a part of your home. You know that verse, Romans 3, 20? A lot of times people have used it for salvation, but it's really not about salvation. It's the letter to the church at Laodicea, which we'll look at on Wednesday nights in a couple of weeks. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's talking to a church that has pushed him out. And if anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will, what does he say? Eat. I will eat with them and he with me. He's talking about you inviting him into your home and fellowshipping with Jesus. So, identify with Jesus at church. Check you're here. All right, now invite Jesus to go home with you. That's the second point. And then number three, introduce hurting people to Jesus. Introduce hurting people to Jesus. Look at verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Now, why did that happen after sunset? Well, you probably know this, but the way Jews consider time and days, they still do that today. When the sun sets on Friday afternoon, that Sabbath Shabbat begins and goes for the next 24 hours. And so what happens with the, when the sun sets, they have a Shabbat meal. On Saturday morning, they had synagogue. That afternoon, they went to the house of Peter where his um, wife's uh, mother served them. And then everybody's waiting for the sun to set. You know why? Because as long as it was the Sabbath, they couldn't carry sick people to see Jesus because it broke the Sabbath rules because it was only after the sun set the Sabbath ended. And you say, well, they didn't have clocks, did they? No. Well, how could they tell when the Sabbath was over? Well, hey, the rabbis have all these little meticulous rules figured out. They still even to this day in modern Israel. But back then, a rabbi said that it was the end of the day. It was after sunset if you could count three stars in the sky. So can't you see these people who have all their hurting loved ones? They're looking at the sky. Hey, there's one. Oh, yeah, there's another one. All right, finally, three, let's go. They grab up all their sick friends and demon-possessed friends and take them to Jesus. You say, well, what if it's cloudy? Well, they've got a rule for that, too. You place a black thread and a white thread next to each other, and when you can't tell them apart, then yes, it is officially sunset like that. So this is the lesson that we learn. All these people were waiting, 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 because they heard about what Jesus had done at synagogue, how he cast the demon out of that man. So they just brought all their friends, and there was a crowd surrounding the house there, and Jesus was healing them. Did you notice they made a distinction between those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed? I say that because I've heard people say before that every sickness is because of Satan or every sickness is related to a demon. I mean, I've known people through the years, you know, who, who were obsessed with demons. I, I had a guy in college who was going to be a preacher boy that if you would ever hiccup, he would say, I rebuke you, demon of hiccups. Or if you sneeze... He didn't say, God bless you. He says, I rebuke you, demon of the sneeze. Fortunately, that guy dropped out of the ministry. 
But there's a distinction here, and we're going to be saying a whole lot more about that. You know, the best thing you can do is bring your friends to Jesus. And I want you to think right now among your circle of relationships, your neighbors, your family, the people that you just see in the regular traffic pattern of your life. Friends, do you know somebody right now? Is there a person, a face, a name that's coming to the screen of your consciousness that as far as you know, if they died, they wouldn't go to heaven? Well, you need to do what these people did. You need to bring them to Jesus. And the way you bring them to Jesus is you bring them to the body of Christ because Jesus is alive and well in his church where they'll hear the gospel preached and where they'll experience the love of a Christian community. Bring them here. You know, Andrew... You don't hear much about Andrew, the disciple, except the one thing he did over and over again was he introduced people to Jesus. In fact, if you look at your Bible in John 1.40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John, that's John the Baptist, has said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, that's Peter, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. I mean, we all know Peter, the greatest of the disciples, many say it was his little brother Andrew that brought him to Jesus. And you remember when they were trying to feed the 5,000? Who was it that brought the little boy with the five loaves and two fishes? It was Andrew. Again, in John chapter 6, there were some Greeks who came to Jerusalem, and they said, we want to see Jesus. And it was Andrew that introduced them. And one of the best things you can ever do is to introduce somebody to Jesus. Has anybody ever heard the name William Edward Kimball? Edward Kimball. How many have ever heard the name Dwight L. Moody? Okay, did you know Edward Kimball was the man who in 1855 walked into a shoe store and led a young man by the name of Dwight L. Moody to faith in Jesus Christ. And Moody went on to shake two continents for Christ. I mean, he, was, he wasn't educated. He was way overweight, had a terrible vocabulary. He murdered the king's English. I mean, one time Moody was speaking at Oxford University, and he used such terrible grammar. This is how he started his message. He said, don't think that God don't love you, for he do. And thousands of people came to Christ just because God anointed him, all because one guy, unknown to most people, Edward Kimball, led him to faith in Christ. How many of you have ever heard of Grady Wilson? How many of you have ever heard of Billy Graham? Because it was in 1934 that Grady Wilson had a lanky North Carolina farm boyfriend that didn't know Jesus. And it was Grady Wilson that took him to a crusade that night, and Billy Graham gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. The best thing you can do is to bring somebody to Jesus. So that's our third point of contact. Here's our final one. Number four, not only identify a church, invite Jesus into your home, introduce hurting people to Jesus, but number four, imitate Jesus in prayer. Imitate Jesus in prayer, verse 35. So it's the next morning now, 24 hours. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, this, this one verse has had so much impact on my life personally because I came across it as a freshman in college. 
And as a freshman in college, I started a habit, a pattern that I followed for the rest of my life is to get up early and spend time all alone with God, reading his word, praying, not, not preparing to preach or teach, just to be fed personally. And I've, I've done this for so many decades now. And you know what I found? I found that when I pray, it helps if I do spend just as much time listening to God as I do talking to God. Because a lot of times when we go to God in prayer, it's like we have a shopping list. You know, probably want a cracker prayer. I need this, I need this, I want this, can I have this, can you do this? And if you're praying for other people, that's, that's good, but sometimes just listen to him. And everybody ought to have a prayer time. You say, well, pastor, I pray while I'm driving. Well, you should, but just don't close your eyes, okay? And my wife, by the way, she, she reads the Bible every night when she goes to bed because she's not a morning person and I'm a morning person. So I've, I've started doing this. And this was not just the only time Jesus did that. Look, look at Matthew 14, 22. This was the pattern he followed. Immediately, there's our key word. Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. There he is, all alone to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. You know, I told people, people say, well, pastor, is it better to do it in the morning or in the evening? I said, well, whatever fits your lifestyle and your personality best. But for, if I waited to do it at night, it'd be like studying for a test after I took the test. It just helps me to start the day that way. And I've been telling y'all, God willing, this time next week, I'll be right here where Jesus was. Capernaum is on the Sea of Galilee. And every time I go, I always take my Bible. I get up before daylight. I walk down all by myself to this rocky beach that's on the freshwater lake called the Sea of Galilee. And I sit there and I read the Word. And I talk to Jesus. And I watch that sun peek over the Golan Heights. It's the same stones, same water, same mountains, same sun that Jesus saw. And you know what? I, I feel such a strong sense of the presence of the Lord. But to be honest with you, just, just last week in my study in Tyler, I got up early, went into my study, sat in my special Bible chair, opened the Bible, talked to God, and I felt every minute the powerful presence of Jesus as I did in Israel. Because you know what, folks? It is not about a place. It's about a person. And his name is Jesus. And there, if something's not going quite right in your life right now, that's a good place to start diagnosing spiritually where you are. Are you spending time alone every day with God? I used to love to listen to the music of the Imperials back in the 70s, 80s. Anybody else remember the Imperials? Oh, yeah, they were good. They, they had one of the songs that I loved that was actually a poem put to music, a poem by Ralph Spall and Cushman called I Met God in the Morning. Listen to this. I met God in the morning when my day was at its best, and his presence came like sunrise, like a glory in my breast. All day long his presence lingered. All day long he stayed with me. And we sailed in perfect calmness over a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered. Other ships were sore distressed. But the winds that seemed to drive them brought to us a peace and rest. 
Then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mind when I too had loosed the moorings with his presence left behind. So I think I know the secret learned from many a troubled way. You must seek him in the morning if you want him through the day. Let's pray. Today, will you say, Lord, I I want to continue to identify with you in church. And Lord, I want to invite you to come into my family, my home. I want you to be a part of my family. And, And Father, put on my heart those that I need to introduce to you by bringing them to to your body, the church. And Lord, give me a hunger to do what you did in prayer, to get alone with your Father every day. Now, Father, I pray for the members of this church that you just continue to bless them and guide them, and may they they have a passion and a heart to grow more and more into the image of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.